Well, our theme uh, for Advent is Let There Be Light, and it's pretty uh, one of those self-evident kinds of things, I think, because everybody knows that at least one thing about Christmas is that Christmas is about lights. People put up lights on their trees, they put lights on their houses, they have lots of decorations around the house that are filled with lights and those kinds of things. And as I reminded you last week, John the Baptist uh, came to be a witness to the light, right? Remember, John the Baptist said, I'm not the light. But I'm here to tell you that someone is coming who is the light. And I invite you to think about how important the light is for your individual life. And if you do not have the light of Jesus Christ in your heart today, it is my prayer that regardless of what else happens in here, that you will welcome Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And that means you would open your heart, open your life up to him, invite him in, invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you would begin to understand why we make such a big deal about the light. Because without his light, my life becomes meaningless. In fact, I would say without his light, my life becomes worthless. I am a worthless life without Jesus Christ leading me. And so as we think about light, everybody knows about how light permeates the darkness, right? We also know, everybody here knows about the power of darkness because we've all experienced periods of darkness in our lives. And no doubt there's bound to be some here today or maybe watching at home. That is really struggling because of some darkness in your life. You know, there's that song around Christmas that we hear that says it's the most wonderful time of the year. But I know for a lot of people, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. That there's a lot of pain associated with Christmas because of somebody that they've lost in their lives, because of something that hard that happened uh, around Christmas. It's just a reminder to us that we desperately need light in the midst of our own darkness. Now, some of you know that uh, Christy and I have what we hope is a uh, retirement home in New Mexico. And one of the things that I love about our home up there is that you can really see the stars at night. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of light, not a lot of ambient light around up there in the mountains. And so you get outside and it's like, wow. If you ever want to go, to me, if you ever want to go find God, drive about 30 miles away from the big city and park on the side of the road and step out of your car and look up. And if you can't feel God, then I don't know when you can feel God, because that's just a reminder of the power of God, that God has given us all of that. And, and one of the things that I know about people that study the stars is that the people who are real serious about it use telescopes. In fact, these gigantic telescopes that are mounted on mountains all over the world. And the way a telescope works, you understand, is that, that it, it depends on these mirrors. Uh, the light's got to come through the telescope, but there's mirrors in there that, that multiply, magnify the light so that the image that they're looking at can be bright enough to be able to see it. And so they, they spend millions and millions of dollars on these highly polished mirrors that are all about focusing the light. So I brought uh, one of Chrissy's hand mirrors with me this morning. Uh, and uh, just to illustrate the point, right, if the light is focused in the right place, then it scatters that light, it shines that light. And as this light beam passes over you, uh, you get a little brilliant flash there. You're like, you're like, thank you, Frank, for making me go blind this morning, right? But you get the idea, right? If it's reflecting the light, then the light can be seen by others. If it's not aimed at the light, you, there's no light to be seen. It's got to be focused in the right place. And Jesus, in Matthew 5, said that we're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to let our lights shine. He also said in the same passage, he talked about salt, that we're not just to be light, we're to be salt. 
And I brought uh, some salt with me this morning. You guys understand salt. The, one of the great things about salt is that just a little bit goes a long way. I remember back uh, when I was younger, maybe uh, probably elementary school, mom was the queen cookie maker at our house. Let the church say amen. Uh, cookies and milk, can I get an amen? Oh, come on. Yeah, that's just one of life's great pleasures, right? And so mom, mom would make these chocolate chip cookies. It wasn't until much later that I learned that mom's secret recipe for chocolate chip cookies had been sold to Nestle to, for them to use. And I'm like, oh, this is mom's recipe. Wow, how cool is that, right? Uh, and so I got, uh, I got a lot of fun with mom uh, she, helping her make cookies from time to time. And uh, I told mom it's this period in my life. I don't know how old I was. And, again, maybe elementary school, maybe middle school. And I'm like, hey, mom, I can solo now. I'm ready to make some chocolate chip cookies. So she says, okay, go ahead. And I made these wonderful cookies, and they smelled so amazing baking. And when they were done, I got them out. They cooled for a little bit, and I asked mom to come in. And we tried. We sampled the cookies together. And, and when we tasted the cookies, they just weren't right. Like, uh, there's just, there's not, it's not right. And mom knew immediately. She said, did you put any salt in? I'm like, oh, man, I forgot the salt. Just a little bit of salt goes a long way because what it does is it brings out the flavors that are already there. A little bit of salt goes a long way. And conversely, if, if, have you ever had a cookie that had too much salt in it? I've had some of mom's cookies that had too much salt in them, and she would warn me before I eat them, there's too much salt in there. It changes everything if you put too much on. Uh, Christy and I laugh from time to time. We go out to eat somewhere. Maybe we'll have a burger. Uh, Bernie, when Bernie was living us, with us for those 12 years that she lived with us, when we would go out and have a burger, she would get the salt, and she would make it snow on her hamburger. I mean, just it was white as snow on the top of that hamburger because she loved it. And we would fuss at her, and she said, my doctor said I can eat whatever the heck I want. We're like, okay, I can't argue with that, right? Jesus said we are supposed to be salt and light. And if, if you turn in Matthew to chapter 5, what you find in Matthew 5 as it begins is the Beatitudes, right? Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, it says, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. If you want to learn a little bit more about what, how Jesus wants us to live, go to Matthew 5. You'll find a wealth of information there about how to live your life. And, and he follows the Beatitudes with some very practical teaching to us about salt and light. Here's what it says, Matthew 5, 13 to 16 from the New Living Translation. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But what, what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let the church say amen. Now I'm going to read uh, the same passage to you again, only I'm going to read it from the paraphrase called The Message because I think it gives an interesting little spin, helps us get a little bit more insight into uh, the passage uh, from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says from The Message. Jesus said, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? 
you've lost your usefulness and it will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Let the church say amen. It's basic to how we are created, Jesus reminds us, basic to why we are here. We are to be salt and light. Think about it for a minute. One of the things the Bible teaches us very clearly is that we are made, we are created to worship God. And we worship God here, yes, on Sundays, but we worship God more importantly out in the world when we leave here on Sundays. We worship God because Jesus is the key to living a fulfilled life. And as I said, I hope you've heard already, if, if, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's be clear about it. You will never have a fulfilled life until you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because then things begin to make sense. Then you begin to get revelation from God that you cannot experience otherwise. This worship, this life of loving God is central to who we are. And Jesus said that when we're worshiping God out there every single day, what we're doing is we're being salt and light. We're bringing out the flavor that God intends for us to have in life. We're helping other people see where they're living in darkness. Salt and light. Because of it, people begin to see Jesus in us. Now, salt and light are metaphors for what today we might call integrity and influence. And integrity is about the consistency of a person's walk, about the fullness of their walk with God, that it's not just a Sunday thing, that it's an everyday thing. Uh, that's what integrity is about. And with that consistent walk with God, then we begin to have an influence in other people's lives. Salt and light, integrity and influence because of Jesus living in you. Let's be clear about that. It's about Jesus living in us that begins to influence other people. It's not us. It's Jesus influencing us because of the way that we reflect the light of Jesus. Now, let's make sure that you understand that you are an influencer. Sociologist uh, Tim Elmore, out of an article from Psychology Today, uh, says that, that uh, for years and years, sociologists have studied, and what they have found is that the average person, and would you say you're an average person? Would you? The average person whether they're uh, a really strong introvert or a really strong extrovert or somewhere in between, the average person influences 10,000 people in their lifetime from the age of five and up. Because one of the things the sociologists say is that most people don't remember the names of anybody before they're the age of five. So if you know somebody's name before five, you are unique, you are special, you are a genius, you are a rock scientist. A rocket scientist, that's what I was supposed to be. A rock scientist, okay, why not? Well, be a rock scientist too. But think about that for a moment. Think about your life and think about the fact that there are 10,000 people that are going to be influenced by you in your lifetime. And I believe that when you think about that, it begins to, it begins to help us, you and I, realize how important our lives are every day to be an influence for good, an influence for God. 
So what kind of an influencer are you? Are you helping people by your words, by your actions, see God more clearly? Or are you, by your words, by your actions, turning people away from God? What kind of an influence are you? So let's unpack a couple of principles from the passage to help us think about this idea of light and salt and influence and integrity. The first, assumption, the first is an assumption based on the passage. The assumption is that the world is corrupt. It's one of the basic premises of this passage. Because Jesus wouldn't have said we need to be salt and light if the world was as it's supposed to be. The world is not as it's supposed to be. It is corrupt. And that's why we need to be salt and light. There is a great darkness out there for which we need to be light. And sometimes people's lives become tasteless. They need us to sprinkle a little Jesus into their world to help them begin to see the light of life because Jesus brings the taste. Jesus brings the flavor of life. Paul said this about the world in Ephesians 6. He said, put on, the, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul says very clearly, look, you got to be prepared to fight back against the dark that is out there, because the world is the domain of the devil. And there is evil in this world, and there is evil in our society. And salt and light are needed to help people see the importance of living a different way. Think about the political climate in our country today and ask yourself the question, is the political climate of our society today an example of the corruption of the world? Where political people like to say their way is the one way and other political people on the other side of the fence will say their way is the one way. And it seems, at least to me, that too much of that rhetoric is about jockeying for position rather than doing what's in the best interest of everybody. Now, I'm not, trying, I'm not here to, to, to play, play the political game with you. Please don't misunderstand. But it, it tires me when I hear all of this turmoil going on about the impeachment and all, you know, depending on which channel you watch on television, you get their particular slant of what's going on. And it appears that the, the world around us, our society, is looking to the president to solve all of our world's problems. And there's only one person that can change the world f for all of eternity, and that one person is Jesus. Amen. That's why we say Jesus is the light of the world. Imagine what our country would look like if people got serious about Jesus and lived with salt and light every single day, you want to talk about changing our society? It would change in a heartbeat if people would get serious about Jesus. And that means you and me, friends. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be spreading the love of God rather than tearing people down and tearing, tearing down our society and, and telling everybody that how, how negative my life is and your life ought to be too. We need to be salt and light because we live in this corrupt world. Another principle that jumps out to us is, is that integrity, godly integrity, is more about who than what. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about just any kind of integrity. I'm talking about godly integrity. And godly integrity comes from a consistent walk with God. But godly integrity is more about who you are than what you do. It's more about who you are than what you do. Integrity is about your guts. How are your guts? What are they made of? Too often the evil one wants to make us think that a relationship with Jesus is about our religion. And how many times have you heard it said that we're not supposed to be about religion. We're supposed to be about a relationship. The devil wants us to think that we show up on Sundays and we, we show up and everybody thinks, oh, wow, look at that good Christian walking by there. They went to church on Sunday morning. It, it, I've said it, uh, uh, I don't know how many thousands of times in my, in my time on this earth, in my time as a pastor. Uh, people don't care about whether you and I are in here or not. They, they want to know why we're different when we're out there in the world. They want to they know wh why we have a different way of living when they're out there in the world. It's not about beaming bright in here. It's about beaming bright outside, out there. We're all little flashlights beaming the light of Jesus. And we could all turn our flashlights on in here, and everybody would be great and be all excited because look at all that light. But what happens when you go out the door and you get in your car and you leave and you go to the restaurant and, and, and you tip that weight person, the 1% that you always tip the weight person? And, and all the weight people, you know this, right? All the weight people know that, that, that all the restaurants are filled with Christians about this time on Sundays. And a lot of weight people that I know don't like Sundays because all the Christians show up on Sundays. Because they can be some of the meanest, rudest, small tipping people there are. And I'm like, wow, what is up with that? We're supposed to be the most generous people on the planet. It's about the light it's about the lumens of your life out there. That's why James said so profoundly in chapter 2, verse 26 of James. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. You get the picture, don't you? Right? It's not about the deed. It's about why you did the deed. Are you doing the deed to try to prove to yourself or prove to somebody else that you're a good Christian? Or did you do the deed simply as a response to the love that God has planted in you in Jesus? Another way of thinking about it is to ask yourself the question, are you busy trying to be the best Christian you can be, or are you busy trying to do your Christianity? And you get the difference, right? You've heard expressions like that before. The big, big difference between doing Christianity and being a Christian. Being a Christian should be about me walking with God, and as a result of that, it transforms my life. It changes the way I speak. It changes the way I live. It changes everything about me. Am I trying to be the best Christian I can, or am I trying to prove to other people by my doing that I'm a Christian? Getting into heaven, the, 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 the one question getting into heaven is about is about, did you know Jesus? It isn't about, did you do the right deeds? It's about do you know Jesus? Godly integrity is more about who you are than what you do. Now, I've said it already, but another key point that this passage teaches us is that salt and light are about influence. And I trust that you would like to be a better influence. You want to be a better influence because you have Jesus in your heart, I hope and pray. 
and that lights your path, and you want other people to know the light of Jesus as well. We like to have our way lit by the light. Now, I remember way back when, when I was in Boy Scouts, we would go on these camping trips, and, and often on the camping trips, we would go on night hikes. And I learned after my first night hike that it's really important to make sure that my batteries are fresh in my flashlight. Because if the batteries aren't fresh, then when it really gets dicey out there on the hike, you got to depend on somebody else's light to show you the way. And it was interesting because I learned pretty quickly that uh, if, if you didn't have the right uh, strong batteries and maybe, didn't, maybe had a weak light to begin with, that uh, nobody would follow you. The people that we would all follow were the ones that had the brightest lights. Because the best way to navigate is with the best light. Jesus said, and at John 8, 12, uh, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The higher the lumens of your life, the greater the influence of your life. And in a similar way, salt is about influence. Think about the attributes of salt. Salt, uh, without it, Food becomes bland. Without faith, life doesn't have any flavor. Another attribute of salt is that salt creates thirst. If we sprinkle the light of Jesus into our words and to our actions every single day, if we're doing that by virtue of who we are, then as we go about our lives, that sprinkling of light begins to develop thirst in other people. Why is that person like that? They begin to get thirsty for the light. They don't know what the light is about, but they begin, begin to get thirsty for the light. Salt is also a preservative. You know, back in Jesus' day, they would take uh, meat, right, and they would put it in cool sheds, and they would cover them with salt because it was a preservative. The love of God is what preserves us. It provides for us perspective about life. It helps us remember that no matter what happens to me, Day by day, God is always going to be with me. Light influences because without it, there is great darkness. And surely, as I said already, there are bound to be some here today who are struggling because of darkness. It's part of our condition in this life that we sometimes struggle with that darkness. And sometimes we feel like we can't find our way out. And that's why it's so important for us to hold the hand of Jesus every single day because he knows how to show us the light. He knows how to show us where to walk and how to walk. I, I've shared with you before uh, my vision that I had the day before I had my prostate removed nine years ago. I was in a lot of turmoil in that day and in that time because of what was going on in me, getting ready to have surgery. And I was anxious about it. I'm trying to give it to the Lord, trying to, okay, God, it's going to be all right. And on the morning before my surgery... I had a vision. I've had three visions, I believe, from God in my lifetime. This was one of those. I was awake. It was in the morning. I was actually reading passages of Scripture because I was trying to beat back the darkness that I was afraid of the next day. And I had this vision. And the vision was of me, a little boy, walking into this big black forest that was ahead of me. Big, big black forest. And I was afraid of the forest, and I couldn't turn. I couldn't go any other direction except straight at the forest. I was a scared little boy. 
And as I walked toward that forest, I know it sounds weird, but this is God's vision, so just bear with me, right? That all of a sudden next to me there, there appeared this like a cloud of lightness, a cloud of light. And, and I was glad to see the light because I'm thinking, well, I'm, uh, it'll help me in the dark that's up ahead, right? And out of that cloud of light came a hand and an arm. And, and what does a little kid do when mom or dad sticks out their arm to them, right? A little kid takes the hand, and I did. And the moment that I took that hand, the cloud disappeared, and it was Jesus. And he was walking with me. And with Jesus, with me walking with him, there was no fear in my heart or life about what was up ahead because I knew that it was going to be okay regardless of what happened because I was walking with Jesus. It's a reminder to us of the importance of our mission statement, right? Our mission statement is to make Christ followers who change the world. People who follow Jesus change the world because they become salt and light in the world that is around us. So it all boils down to, the <clears throat> excuse me, this single point. We're supposed to live so that others see God in us. Jesus is saying, look, okay, if, if you really want somebody else to see me, you got to get busy living for me because as you live for me, then other people begin to see me. It's kind of like these stereograms. You've seen a stereogram before. Here's an image of a stereogram. These are, these are those pictures that if you focus in the right place, you can see the image that's in the picture. There is a big black shark in this picture. A anybody see the shark? Anybody see the shark? Okay. Maybe it doesn't work this distance. I, I star stared at my computer for a while trying to see the shark, but I can tell you that the, the words underneath it said there was a shark in there. Uh, but but my, point, my, my point is, my point is, look, we look at life like this very often. It's just full of all this other stuff, but we, our focus is in the wrong place. Because of it, we can't really experience the true light of Jesus Christ. There are people all around you that look at life like this, and they're liking the colors, but they're not having any purpose. They're not having any fulfillment in their lives. And through our lives, through the salt and light that we can bring to them, they can begin to see who Jesus really is. They begin to see clearly something that they couldn't see before. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Read that with me, would you please? But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Now, get your pointer out for me, would you? Would you get your pointer out? Get your pointer out, okay? Now, point it at yourself. Go like this, all right? This passage says, you are a priest. You are a priest. Say it. I am a priest. Say it with conviction. I am a priest. You are a priest. 
Too often we abdicate the responsibility that we have to be salt and light because we're expecting somebody else to be the priest. We're expecting somebody else to do the work of God. Oh, that's their job. But no, this passage says it's our job because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. And God wants you to be salt and light in your world so that people might see Jesus more clearly. Royal priests because of the salt and light. I don't know about you, but I'm concerned, more and more concerned about our society because as Christmas approaches, it appears to me as though Christmas more and more uh, is about the commercialism. It's not about Jesus. I know some people that have Christmas trees in their houses. Over the last couple of years, I had the opportunity to be in their homes, and these are people that I would say were maybe nominal Christians at best if they were Christians at all. And I asked them about the tree. I said, do you know what the tree stands for, what the tree is about? And they said, well, it's about the green, and it's about the lights, and it's about the packages and such. Oh, there are a ton of people in our society that want to celebrate Christmas, but they don't really know what Christmas is all about. I I think about the lesson we all learned from the Grinch, right? The Grinch stole all the packages, but what he found out was... You can't steal Christmas because Christmas is not about the packages. It's about the one life, the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. What a gift that is, that God would be with me. The Bible says that a Savior was to be born. To save us from the darkness, Jesus came. What a gift. We have a Savior Let us reflect the light of our Savior every day, every day. May we be great reflections of Jesus. Stand to your feet, church.